0: Let us finish tonight this letter to the church in Thyatira. It's the longest of the seven letters, and we've already had two messages out of it. And it's a church that's got so much to commend it. It's active, it's loving, and it's grown. Its works, uh, latterly, are greater than what they were to begin with. And yet, there is something seriously wrong with the church. There's a spiritual cancer eating away at it. And it's the influence of this prophetess, Jezebel. And I don't think it's so much false teaching, but false influences that she is bringing upon the congregation. And it could well be that because the church was founded by a woman, Lydia in Acts chapter 16, that either Jezebel was related to Lydia or the church had got soft on allowing women to preach. Uh, But beside the point, uh, they were weak in not dealing with the influences of Jezebel. And uh, in this uh, city, like other Roman cities, the pressure upon Christians To uh, pay homage to the Roman emperor, who was deified, worshipped as God, was extremely great. And in their workplace, in the trade guilds, like trade unions, uh, they would have been pressurised to do that. And Jezebel's influence was to make these Christians think, it's all right, it's all right. We don't have to make a stand for Jesus Christ. We can just be uh, where he wants us to be in order to be an influence for good and we can just pay lip service to Caesar. It's all right. Well, Jesus says it's not all right. You must make a stand for me. Now, that does not mean that we become unwise. We're living today in a situation where we might have to do things that a previous generation uh, didn't have to. Uh, there are some things, uh, i.e. in terms of working on Sunday now, that it is impossible, I think, for us as believers, uh, to refuse doing. We're, we're not living, sad to say, anymore, in a time where it was easier to make a stand on that let us remember that in the early church, most of the Christians were slaves and they had to work on the Sunday. That is why the early church met either very early on Sunday morning or on Sunday evening. But there are situations where we have to make a stand and we have no choice and we mustn't allow this influence to come into our minds because it always comes first into our heads that we must somehow water things down. Never. We are to stand for Christ. That's not easy, is it? But Jesus ends this letter on a positive note. Aren't you glad of that? He wants to encourage these believers especially those who haven't given in to the influence of Jezebel so if you look at verse 24 now to you I say and to the rest in Thyatira as many as do not have this doctrine which is probably of Satan anyway he just wants to encourage them and I believe most of us here will be in that category. Maybe they are confused because of the influence of Jezebel. Maybe they are tempted to waver as well because they see other Christians doing things uh, that they wouldn't necessarily do. But when you're in the minority, it's hard, isn't it, to make a stand. But Jesus says, be strong, be strong. That's what the word encourage means, to strengthen one's arms. Don't we need sons and daughters of encouragement today amongst us? That's what Barnabas actually means, the son of encouragement. Now, I've got four things to say here about how Jesus encourages uh, the rest in Thyatira to keep standing. And then we'll go into the Lord's Supper. The first thing, and I trust these will be of use to us. The first thing. I've uh, named this, keep on keeping on. Keep on keeping on. When I went to Bible College in London, I preached for a minister in Hayes Town, in West London. And I'll never forget what he said to me. Keep on Keeping on. He was actually quoting Spurgeon. But that's good, isn't it? Keep on keeping on. Now, Jesus puts it in a slightly different way here. Verse 25 Hold fast. Hold fast. What does that mean? Grip. Hang on in there. That's what we sometimes say to people who are struggling. Hang on in there. Is it Job who said, I'm hanging on by the skin of my teeth? (laughs) Hang on. Keep on being faithful. Hold fast to what you have until I come. Now, either that means Jesus' second coming in judgments or it may well mean jesus coming to visit the church to either deal with jezebel visiting in judgments remember he's threatening here to remove the candlestick or just visiting just visiting in blessing hold on in there brother sister until we see better times now then how can i do that what do i need to hold on to Have you ever been up Trevan in North Wales? It's a very famous mountain. It's rock. Trevan is all rock. There are famous photos of it. If you ever find yourself going up Trevan, you'll find yourself in some scary places. But you know what? It's all right. It's Trevan. The rock is honest. If there is such a thing, it's solid. So when you put your hand on a travan handhold, it won't let you down. When you put your foot in a travan foothold, you won't slip. Haven't we got something even more reliable to hold on to? The Word of God. This is a foundation that does not move. Whatever the times we find ourselves in, hasn't affected the scriptures, is it? Truth unchanged, unchanging. Thy word is truth. And specifically, I am the truth. Hold on to Jesus Christ, as he's revealed In his word, even if you're just touching the hem of his garments, like that poor woman. Uh, This is what Derek Thomas says here. In days of confusion and pressure to conform one way or another, we are to live by the standards of the revealed word of God. And no more, no more. This is all we need to hold on to. I believe you see that some of these in Thyatira, because of the compromises of Jezebel, they were afraid of that, so they were overreacting then, and adding all sorts of rules to the word of God. But that's just as bad, because that's taking us away from Christ, just as Jezebel was distracting people from Christ. So man-made rules... Take our eyes off Jesus. What we've got to do is focus. Look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Look to his promises. Uh, I'm going through this year. I never used it before. Spurgeon, uh, not morning and evening, but Spurgeon's checkbook of the Bank of Faith. Have you ever used that? I can highly recommend it. For each day, he gives a promise from the word of God. And it's true, isn't it? Sometimes that Keeps you going. It's as if you're literally holding on to that promise. And it keeps you throughout the day. What wonderful things the promises of the word of God are. I can understand the hymnist saying, I'm standing on the promises. I can understand Bunyan's pilgrim sinking in the slough of Despond and not knowing where to turn and then being instructed to put his feet on the stone steps of the promises. Praise God. We are holding on. To somebody who is strong, who is reliable, and who is revealed to us in something that will never change. And there's something else here as well. Still thinking of keep on keeping on. Uh, Jesus says, I will put on you no other burden. Isn't that precious? I'm not a harsh taskmaster. Matthew 11. Take my yoke. A yoke was what you used uh, to uh, put oxen uh, to the plow. And Jesus is describing his yoke as. Easy, it's not heavy, it's not heavy. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. There's a book that's just come out, gentle and lowly, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Or as the Apostle John put it, his commandments. Yes, they are important. This is what guides us, They're not heavy, though. They're not grievous. Aren't you glad of that? I find traditions or man-made rules heavy. They drag us down. But the word of God lifts us up. It's healthy, as it were. A soul-refreshing view of Jesus in his word. Jesus is a reasonable and mild teacher and generous beyond all expectation, says Phillips, a Presbyterian commentator. Generous. Doesn't that inspire us? If you've got a generous, inspiring teacher. I didn't have a piano teacher like that, you know. That's why I stopped learning the piano whenever I made a mistake, she had this pencil and she would hit me on my knuckles. It hurts. She put me off. (laughs) She wasn't generous. She was hard. In university, we had a brilliant, inspiring lecturer. And you know what he lectured on? Soils. Not an inspiring subject, is it? Soils. But, boy... He made us love soils. Haven't we got a saviour who's inspiring, who's gentle, who's generous, who whispers in your ear and mine when we feel like giving up, hold on in there because it's not even your grip on me that matters in the end, but my grip of grace on you. So that's the first thing that encourages us. Keep on keeping on. Hold on. And then there is a second word of encouragement here. Overcome. Overcome. Let me just read the verse. He who, verse 26, overcomes and keeps my works until the end. We've already looked at overcoming in the other letters. But briefly... How do I overcome? How how do I become somebody instead of uh, somebody who gets beaten down by circumstances? How do I become somebody who overcomes the obstacles? This is what John says. This is the victory that overcomes the world. Even our faith, our faith, we're back to Christ, aren't we? We're back to the word of Christ. Faith in his promises, that's what enables us to overcome. I've quoted often from Douglas Kelly's commentary on Revelation. You may disagree with his interpretations, but he's spot on in his sentiments. This is how he puts it The human idea of overcoming is to look within, to look to self, and say, I am strong, and I can do anything I want to. No, the Bible says that's not how God's overcomer uh, speaks. We look away from self—that's faith—and we look up to Jesus. I am weak, but Thou art mighty. Hold me with Thy powerful hand. The world's weakest people can become victorious overcomers by simple faith, Kelly says. Faith, as one of the English Puritans said, is like an eye looking out to someone close for help. Faith. Uh, let me read, uh, we were looking at Jephthah on Wednesday nights, and he was a loser in terms of his background. A loser, but by faith he became strong. And this is how the writer to the Hebrews puts it in that hall of fame of the heroes of the faith. Hebrews 11, in the middle of verse 34, I think. It's through faith, out of great weakness, these people were made strong. Don't you feel like that? It's weakness. Everything about us is weakness. Look at yourself. Uh, We have... uh, seen one another maybe after a year of lockdown and we're older aren't we the body is weaker than it was a year ago when it comes to our souls we're weak in and of ourselves talk about overcoming we fail the lord so often we do yield to temptation and then when you think about our churches in wales they're so weak at the moment we're a goodly number here But many churches haven't even reopened yet. And there's a question as to whether they ever will. Weakness is all around. And in terms of the effect that we're having on society, we're only scratching the surface if that. Weakness, that is all we're seeing. Weak, weak, weak. What does faith do? Faith doesn't look at that. Faith looks up. And what does the eye of faith see? The eye of faith sees a strong Jesus. A God who says, I can take weak vessels and make them strong. So this is the second encouragement. Overcome in your weakness. May your weakness drive you to desperation. And uh, as the children of Israel, as they were coming out of Egypt, God led them to a dead end, as it were. They couldn't go forward because it was the Red Sea. They couldn't go to the left because it was a steep mountain. They couldn't go to the right because it was an even steeper mountain. They definitely couldn't go back because the Egyptian army were coming upon them. They had nowhere left to turn but up, up. Look up, brother, sister. That's where strength comes from. I found when we are desperate, God intervenes. It's interesting uh, listening to uh, these men of God being interviewed on a Sunday evening. When you think of it, when they entered the ministry, uh, there weren't as many independent evangelical churches around, were there? They didn't have the resources that we are privileged to Enjoy. In one sense, and I'm saying this at the risk of being misunderstood, in one sense, all they had to rely on was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. May we find ourselves in that position where we have to depend on Christ because there's no one else we can turn to. That's how you and I overcome. If you think, I'm never going to be able to overcome. Maybe you're in a better position than you imagine yourself to be. Because when I am weak, then am I strong. That's what Paul said. If you think you are strong, you're in a worse position than you imagine to be. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And then thirdly, a third encouragement. Now this is amazing. Power. Power. Let me read uh, again uh, the verse. Verse 26. This is what Jesus says. To those who overcome, I will give power over the nations. Now, did we read that right? Power over the nations. Can you imagine uh, a slave in the church in Thyatira hearing that? Me? Us? Persecuted people? People? having power over the Roman Empire. The Caesar, who calls himself God, how can we have power over such a vast and powerful empire? And then John quotes, or Christ quotes, Psalm 2, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter they shall be broken in pieces. That's how you can have power. What's that, you ask? I like the way God compares the nations of the world, the powerful empires, to jars of clay. That's all they are jars of clay. If you would have lived in John's day, you would have thought the Roman Empire was indestructible, that it would last forever. Well, it did last for a very, very long time. It lasted for many centuries. Didn't the Nazis think that the Third Reich would last for a long time? It didn't even last one generation. I think the Japanese Empire was even the shortest uh, lived empire after uh, the Second World War ended. But the Roman Empire lasted many, many centuries. But it did come to an end. Where's the power of Rome today? You've got the ruins of the Colosseum, haven't you? That's the power of Rome. Where's the power of Rome? They once occupied our country. Where is the power of Rome round here today? You've got it in Cairwent. Those Roman ruins. You've got it in Carlean, the Roman amphitheatre, they're tourist attractions. Where's the Church of Jesus Christ today? She's still standing. She may not be as strong as she once was in the West, but all over the world, she's still going strong. Praise God. Through the rise and fall of nations, God's own kingdom stands secure. And we are part of that kingdom. Isn't that encouraging? Now then, what's this power? What's this power? we will one day judge the nations Paul writes to the Corinthians because they were taking each other to court to deal with personal disagreements and he says 1 Corinthians 6 do you not know don't you realise that one day the saints that's us shall judge the world how can you Behave like that amongst one another. You're going to judge the world one day. Don't you even realise, he says, that we shall judge angels? Now, I can't get my mind around that, but it's true. But how do we now exercise this power? Again, in Hebrews 11, we're told that through faith, ordinary men and women like us subdued kingdoms how does that happen how can i know they're described as jars of clay but if you think of them think of the roman empire in john's day think of the chinese empire today think of their wealth their military power their natural resources their numbers their influence how can we even touch that well the quotes from psalm 2 says he shall rule them with a rod of iron. That rod of iron shall break them into pieces. What's the rod of iron? <laughs> the word. The word. These ordinary Christians who were persecuted when these letters were written, in a century or so, we're going to turn the Roman world upside down. How did they do it? They didn't have money. They didn't have resources. They didn't have influence. They had the gospel. And they had the spirit coming upon the word. That's all they had. And then, once... They had influence and money and buildings and resources. What happened? They lost the power. They lost the power. Do you notice a difference between Jesus quoting Psalm two here in Revelation 2 to the actual words of the Psalm? In the Psalm it says He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels. That's what it says here in the quotation from the psalm. If you look at Psalm 2, it says he shall break them with a rod of iron. He shall break them. He doesn't say that here. On purpose, he says, he shall rule them with a rod of iron. Do you know what the word for rule is in the Greek? he shall shepherd them. He shall shepherd them with a rod of iron. Isn't that wonderful? In all the confusion, we have the good shepherd leading us. And he's got his rod. Remember what David said? Thy rod and thy staff They comfort me. Do you know what the shepherd's rod and staff were used as? Uh, It was used to protect the sheep from wolves and also to lead the sheep in a good and a right way. Praise be to God that he uses his word not to break us, not to beat us, But to guide us Protect us And comfort us And then very quickly The last encouragement The morning star And I will give him The morning star Have you ever been up early enough To see the morning star The morning star appears While it's still dark Before even the sun rises. Now that's really early, especially this time of year. So when the morning star appears, it's the darkest time of night. It's that um, saying, uh, whether it's a Puritan saying or something else, I can't remember. It's often darkest right before the dawn. And it's at that point that the morning star Appears And things were dark now for the church in Thyatira, and they were going to get darker. But what Jesus promises them is the light of the morning star. What's the morning star? Or rather, who is the morning star? In the last chapter of Revelation, Jesus says, I am the roots and the offspring of David and the bright." And morning star. I shall not fear. The darkest hour. With Jesus beside me. Peter writes. Take heed to his word. As a light that shines in a dark place. Until the day dawn. And the day star. Arise in your hearts. Are you in a dark place at the moment? As you know, one of my favourite films is the Lord of the Rings trilogy and Frodo Baggins towards the end of the story, as he and Sam are getting into Mordor, they've climbed the staircase of Cirith Ungol and they have gotten themselves into a trap, into the nest of this spider, Shelob, Shelob's lair A dangerous Dark place And Frodo is without Sam And he's in danger of his life Shelob is coming after him But Frodo's got something He was given it by Galadriel Galadriel gave to Frodo the, These are the words I find them quite moving I give you Frodo Baggins of the Shire The light of Erendil our most beloved star, may it be a light for you in dark places when all other lights go out. Now, how much more have we got the lights of the world in Jesus Christ? Far greater than the lights of Erendil. When all other lights are going out, and sometimes as believers, we find ourselves in such position. He is still with us. The morning star. Aren't you glad of that? And you know what? The more you look into his face in such times, the more you are transformed. Uh, I know Maureen quotes this verse quite often from Proverbs. The path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. So as we go through this world, we don't know how long is left for us, but we do know that ahead at some point is a dark valley the valley of the shadow of death and yet even then we will fear no evil because our shepherd and his rod and his staff will be with us and we will have his light with us and we will cross that valley and we will get to the sunlit uplands of paradise and there we shall shine the righteous shall shine as the sun. Oh my friends. The best is yet to come. Let's finish there. I just want to quote a hymn. We're going to sing it at the end. Why should I sorrow more? I trust a saviour slain. And safe beneath his sheltering cross. Unmoved I shall remain. Let Satan, let Jezebel and the world. Now rage on now, allure. The promises in Christ are made immutable. They don't change. And sure. And what have I got to do? All that remains for me is but to love and sing. I know we can't sing in the building here, but we can sing in our hearts. And we can sing when we get outside. And you can sing at home to your heart's content. All that remains for me is but to love and sing and wait until the angels come to bear me to the king. And one day, we're going to be there. We will all have to leave the stage one day. Isn't it uh, poignant that John Blanchard, who was only interviewed uh, a few weeks ago, and not long after that, he was taken into hospital. And he's left the stage. He's left the stage. And now he's home. And one day, we'll be home. We'll be home. And in the meantime, we have so much to encourage us and may we do what Christ is saying to these Christians in Thyatira, whatever the pressure may be, because he is such a wonderful shepherd for his name. Now we're going to sing a pilgrim in a desert land. I chose this hymn because of the verse, come uh, fire of lights pillar of cloud by day i dare not take a step unless thou show the way so let us stand and sing in our hearts